Revelation 12:17 And the dragon was wroth with the woman and went to make war with the remnant of her seed which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus. Thank you, Dean. This passage is one of the keynote passages in Seventh-day Adventism. Hi, Jonathan. <laughs> Good to see you. Um, so I wanted to talk to you about the remnant because I have a passion to define our doctrines, Seventh-day Adventist doctrines, in the context of grace rather than works. And so I have thought about each one of these doctrines to try to understand them in that. And this is one that we have, the good news about the remnant. I'm going to take the mic in my hand so I can kind of go sideways here. Adventism and the remnant. Ellen White, can you see okay? Am I blocking it? Ellen White received her first vision December of 1844. Her second came in the spring of the following year, early 1845. These two visions became the subject of the first Seventh-day Adventist pamphlet published in 1846. We're going back to the very foundations before our church was organized. Um, in a broadside entitled, and what does it say? To the little remnant scattered abroad. You can't think of Adventism without thinking of that word remnant. It is so ingrained in our whole identity. From the very, very beginning until the very end, remnant is a part of what we say to define ourselves. This is the uh, photocopy of the little remnant scattered abroad. Adventism and the remnant. Um, in 1849, Joseph Bates um, says that the Advent movement is the fulfillment of Revelation 12:17. Now this, as we know, is the first definition, biblical definition, where we have a leader of our church saying, we fulfill the qualifications for the remnant according to the definition given in Revelation 12, 17, the text we just read. You staying with me on that one? So now the church is saying, we are the remnant. They see themselves that way. Adventism, 1849. 1853. Ellen White referred to Sabbath-keeping Adventists as what? She's agreement, right? Long time ago. 1855, look at what was happening. J.M. Stevenson was urged to reconsider severing himself from what? Yeah, how can you separate, sever yourself from the remnant people of God? That's what the, was puzzling the, Jew, uh, the Christians. Uriah Smith, uh, the editor of the Review and Herald, in 1856, explained why Adventists considered themselves the remnant. So are you seeing the point? They all saw themselves as part of the remnant. The Adventist church is part of the remnant. James White defended why Adventists consider themselves to be the remnant. And so this is 1857. When considering the name for the church, one of the names was, under consideration, call it just simply, instead of the Seventh Adventists, call it the remnant. That's how thoroughly the church, early church, identified themselves as the remnant. They saw themselves in that capacity. For almost 175 years, books and periodicals have rolled off Adventist presses, all calling the church the remnant church. 
Is that the way you see the Seventh-day Adventist church? The remnant? A lot of you see it that way too? The denomination officially established it as a doctrine during the 1980 General Conference session held in Dallas. No other church claims this unique distinction. We're not aware of any other church that thinks that they are the remnant. The Seventh-day Adventist church does believe, according to this text that we just read in Revelation chapter 12, that we believe we are the remnant. There are six Hebrew words that are used and uh, defined as, as translated as remnant. Uh, the first one means what escapes, those who escape, to escape, to deliver. So the remnant are the people that no matter what horrendous things go on, they always survive. Right? Another one, rest, what remains, the remainder, the remnant, to leave over, the leftover, same thing. That after everything is said and done, there is a little group left over, and they are called the what? The remnant. And that is a part of Seventh-day Adventist psychology so deep in our feelings. We really believe that. What remains, remainder, this is like the other ones here. Uh, this word slip, the ones that have slipped through. <laughs> uh, to escape, to delay, to tarry. All of it seems to communicate this concept gone through a tremendous ordeal and this small group survived. You see the point? These are the words that are used to describe remnant in the Old Testament. The concept can be traced throughout the Bible even when these words are not used. In the antediluvian world before the flood, uh, it was a bad situation. And here's what God said. He saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Can you imagine a world like that? Now, it didn't say some. It said every imagination of his heart was evil continually. And this next part is a stunning statement. And it repented the Lord that he had made man. Imagine that. Who loves us to the extent that it's hardly even inconceivable that God would ever abandon us. Right? Isn't that so, so much a part of who God is? To have a statement like this appear so early in the chronicle of history, Genesis chapter 6. Just amazing. The rest of mankind corrupted his way upon the earth. And so it... You know, it grieved him at his heart, God. But he chose to save some. And this is the most spectacular fulfillment of what we mean by remnant, is the whole world was destroyed. Man, beast, soil, everything was destroyed, but a remnant came through. Like a seed to start a new generation, new life. That's the remnant. After every living substance was blotted out, only Noah and his immediate family survived. We all know that story. So Noah becomes a remnant, right? Can you imagine that? The boat comes to rest. He opens the door. He comes out. There isn't anybody out there. There's nothing out there. It all has to start over again. That's the remnant concept. 
Why was, God, why was Noah selected to survive? Well, the Bible tells us why. And now we get into some qualifications to be remnant. The remnant are just people who walk with God, right? That's what Noah was. He became a remnant because of those qualifications. God says, I will start all over with you. In thee have I seen righteousness before me. So God does look into hearts, and the remnant have got something special that connects them with God. Righteousness, justice, and they walk with God. He will save them, no matter how horrible things get. And also, God said that Noah did all that God commanded him. So the remnant are obedient people. Are we all together on this so far? You've got in front of you here some qualifications for a remnant, right? What God looks at when he looks for a remnant. You see that? On this basis, God said, with thee will I establish my covenant. You will be my new family. I will start all over with you. You will be that little shred left over that I'm going to start all over with. But as you look at the Bible, it didn't go so perfect, did it? Did Noah's family, all of them, become the remnant? Noah failed to pass remnant status to his children. In just a few generations after the flood, most of Noah's posterity were in full-blown rebellion against God, and they were building a tower of resistance against him. Later, the descendants of Noah, through his righteous son, Shem, named Terah, uh, was a moon worshiper. Oh, his righteous son. Later the descendants of Noah. That's not said well, is it? Uh, rephrase that however you'd like it and say it right. <laughs> okay. Anyway, Terah, one of the descendants of Shem, who was a descendant of Noah, was a moon worshiper. That says it better, doesn't it? Are you getting that? So out of Noah's righteous descendant came moon worshipers. You staying with me on this one? Are they sounding like the definition of the remnant? Worshiping the moon? And yet, out of that element came Abraham, who God called and make and made a covenant with him to be the founder of the Jewish people. It's absolutely amazing. Sorry about that grammar. Uh, oh, the whole thing was messed up there, wasn't it? So Abram, Terah's son, needed to leave his idolatrous family in order to follow God. And he goes down to the land of Canaan. Rachel now, Abraham's grandson's wife, also worshipped idols. Or at least her father did. Are you seeing what I'm saying here? So there's always this tension in the remnant. Are they going to be true to God? Are they not going to be true to God? If they are true to God, they are considered remnant. If they're not true to God, are they considered remnant? And so you can have the remnant fall apart even within a family. Right? Abraham, he entered into a covenant into a remnant relationship with God. When Abraham was 90 years old, nine, 
The Lord appeared to Abram and said unto him, I am the Almighty God, walk before me and be thou perfect. And I will make my covenant between me and thee, and I will multiply thee exceedingly. That's the arrangements that Remnant have always had with God. He was called a friend of God, his friend forever. Why? Now notice, this is one of the qualifications down here. The reason why God chose Abram as part of his remnant. Now you remember, everything is going to flow through that remnant. All the God's concerns going to flow through the remnant. I know him. He will command his children and his household after him. And so those that are a part of the remnant are going to be good parents. They're going to raise their children properly. And they're going to raise their children to love the Lord. And they should keep the way of the Lord and do justice and judgment. And as you hear the story of Abraham's life in the book of Genesis, you find out, even though it was difficult at times, that Abraham tried his very best to do that. Despite some obvious flaws, like he did have a problem with lying, he had a problem of trusting, he maintained his immediate relationship with God in a world that didn't. By faith, Abram, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, he obeyed. He went out. He didn't know whether he went. By faith, he sojourned in the land of promise and in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked for a city which hath foundation, whose builder and maker is God. From our prayer session, just this morning, you can tell who are the remnant. They believe in God. They trust God. They know God. So I think there's some remnant here. Isaac became remnant. My covenant, will I establish with Isaac. Isaac was to live a life of obedience, godliness, and intimacy. He was to carry it on to the next generation. Not all of Isaac's children, however, became remnant. And so you find this issue. It doesn't simply flow from parent to child. Not always. Esau's fa Esau fathered a pagan nation. Ishmael benefited from God's promises, but the remnant didn't come through him. Esau, by birth, should have been the recipient. But his disregard for it allowed him to sell remnant for a morsel of meat. His brother Jacob esteemed, rather, the birthright, the remnant privileged status, so he highly that he was willing to obtain it even by fraud. Later, he wrestled all night with an unknown assailant, realizing his opponent was the Lord, and when he did that, he clung to him for a blessing. That's remnant. That's what you'd expect a remnant person to do. Now let's look at the patriarchs. Israel wanted the privileges, but not the intimacy of remnant. At Mount Sinai, if you will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, you shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people. That's remnant. For all the earth is mine, and ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. What's the condition? Obey my voice, keep my covenant. And throughout history, from the time that that was given, Exodus 19, from that time onward, most of those people 
that were in that covenant quickly fell away, creating a golden calf, stoning Stephen, all the way down to stoning Stephen 1,500 years later. You have this tremendous anthology of prophets telling this story of the rebellion and the evilness of the people. Would you call them remnant? What you are aware of is how small the remnant always has been. A small segment. And that's why it's called remnant. It's small. Their record of their failure all through the Old Testament. Isaiah declared them a total failure. The whole head is sick. The whole heart faints. From the sole of the foot even to the head there is no soundness in it. Wounds and bruises and purifying sores. That's Isaiah's definition of God's people who failed to be the, the remnant. You have wearied me with your words. Yet ye say, wherein have ye, we, we wearied him? When ye say, everyone that doeth evil is good, and he delighteth in them, where is the God of judgment? They were mocking God. And so they are not the remnant. That's what Malachi says, the last book in the Old Testament. So God was fed up with them. I am full of the burnt offerings. And when you spread forth your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. When you make many prayers, I will not hear. Bring no more vain oblations. Incense is an abomination to me. The new moons, the Sabbaths, the calling of assemblies, I cannot away with. It is iniquity, even the solemn meetings. And even before his death, Jesus on the Mount of Olives, looking over Jerusalem, with tears cried out, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you've killed the prophets, stoned those who have been sent to you. How often would I have gathered thee like children together? I wanted you to be my remnant. <laughs> even as a hen gathereth her chickens, and ye would not. Your house is going to be left to you desolate. Now, are you getting the point here? So the remnant is always this exalted closeness and this intimacy with God, obedience, sharing in God's, God's life, and so few who had the opportunity have followed through with that. Isn't that true? That is perhaps one of the major themes all the way through the Bible. After the Babylonian captivity, God's patience was exhausted. To those that returned, he says, there would be no remnant nor escaping. Here God is saying, I'm not going to even make you, give you the opportunity to survive. There will be no remnant. When the Jews rejected the Messiah, the kingdom of God would be taken from them and, do, and what? Given to a what? A nation that would bring, bring forth fruits. Remnant must produce fruits or it dies. Permanently, irrevocably, canceling their special standing before God as a nation. That would be transferred to what? The Christian church. Now you're going to find people who have no genetics connecting them to Abraham. Who are now being included in the remnant. This was what was so startling for the Jews, to actually comprehend and believe that they who had been the remnant were no longer considered by God that way. How could God ever break away 
from this people. And yet all through the Bible, he has warned that he would. And he did. What happened? Did I hit a button while I was talking? God is going to make a new remnant now, Christianity. And as the disciples gathered in the upper room, the Holy Spirit fell just as God had promised. And the fearful became fearless and they built a brand new church. A new remnant who would now confront the former remnant. And you would find this new remnant is made up of deacons who didn't come from Judaism. They came out of Greek past. These are names that have Greek, these are Greek people. They're brought into the church. What Jesus had told the disciples, he wanted them to go out into the world. They were staying in Jerusalem. And he gave them now Greek people who became deacons in the church who stood up early in the book of Acts and were now proclaiming Stephen, if you read his sermon that he preached before the leaders of the Sanhedrin, he is saying all the way back through history God has brought in people from the outside. That's what his story is all about. How could then you deny God that privilege now? Powerful sermon. Did they like what he had to say? What did they do to him? Those individuals were so angry they couldn't think straight. And so they killed him. And one of those supervising the death of Stephen was whom? And notice what God did. He takes the arch enemy of the new remnant and makes him the champion of the remnant. God is capable of doing some amazing stuff. Philip, a Greek, he was actually picked up as one of the deacons and transported to another town, or actually it was in the way, <laughs> on the road. Ethiopian, uh, uh, the Ethiopian princess, or the queen's uh, treasurer. And he was reading the prophecies about the Messiah. He couldn't understand them. He had just been to Jerusalem celebrating the festivals. And he was on his way back, and God heard the cry from his heart, picked up Philip, sent him all the way over there, and Philip was able to explain the prophecies. And now this man, a eunuch, so unclean because he was a eunuch, he would not even be touched or talked to by the Jews. And now he's a part of the new family. He was baptized by Philip. And then, of course, Saul becomes Paul, the persecutor, the champion. And God in the book of Acts is creating before our eyes a brand new remnant. The gospel goes to the Gentiles, comes to us all around the world. And then Paul also reframes the theology of the church as a part of his role in being the new remnant. Now, let's just take a look. Did this Christian church become a pure remnant? Well, all you got to do is read Paul's writings, right? These are the things that he's identifying was in that church. Would you call that the remnant? What would you say? Backsliders, false teachers, busybodies, tattlers, theological disputes, false theology, ethnic bigotry, and fornication. Would you say that they're in tune with God? This thing of creating a remnant is apparently a very hard thing for God to do. Because we fight it. We turn away from it. 
Paul warned there would be a great falling away. John, in the book of Revelation, the last surviving disciple, about to die himself, is concerned. Would there ever be an end of this? And so God takes him in a vision in the book of Revelation up to heaven, and he tells him in ways that only God can. And if you remember the book of Revelation, in the first chapters, what does he hear all the time? He's taken up to heaven. He sees the throne room. He sees angels. He sees God. He sees the Son. And what's going on? They're singing. They're rejoicing. Why? Because God has won. And so even though there may be a lot of stuff going on on this earth that's not so pleasant, John, God wanted John to know, it's done. God has been successful. He has won. It will come to the conclusion that God has promised. And God wanted the last surviving disciple to know that. Aren't you thankful that God's that way? You may not see a whole lot of results on this earth taking place, but as far as heaven is concerned, it's done. At the cross, it was done. Victory was assured. But it continues to be a struggling remnant, and we've lived 2,000, not all of us individually, but 2,000 years. Sometimes we feel that way in the morning. Um, Catholics and Protestants have fought, both claiming that Jesus is their Savior, both claiming to be the remnant. <laughs> Persecuted become the persecutors. And so the Catholics persecute the Protestants. And how do the Protestants get back at the Catholics? This is the remnant. Calvin, he burns. He's a Protestant. He's burning the heretics. Uh, Zwingli, he's more sophisticated. He drowns them. Luther urges the state. He says, now let's use the authority and the power of the state to wipe out these heretics. Smite, slay, stab, secretly or openly, as if among mad dogs. Now, if you had been a sinner and you get to know the Lord, are you then, for the rest of your life, going to say to all those sinners, smite, stab, slay? Now, I want you to know something that happened here. This is so stunning. You need to really take note of this. This man here used the writings of this man to justify what he did to the Jews. It's been a pretty bad history, hasn't it? God wanted a remnant. He's always sought for a remnant. And the remnant is hard to hang on to God. And there's only going to be a few. But they are going to win, according to God. The Protestant churches soon subscribed, this is the remnant, soon subscribed to such teachings as predestination, once saved, always saved, antinomianism, that is, no need for the law, infant baptism, the immortal soul, and an earthly millennium central teachings to the Protestant church. They've taken those things. Are those teachings of God? When you think about each one of those and look at them individually, you can understand why God loathes them. So the remnant really drifts 
far away from God, even though they may still in their heart believe they are still remnant. Have you known people who think they're the remnant whose lives simply do not match that profession? Within a few centuries, rationalism, that is, it's all about our logic, <laughs> denial of the supernatural, evolution, the denial of Christ's deity entered into many Christian churches. This is just out of history. This is just simply what happened. The remnant really do go far away from what God had called them to be. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Way back in the beginning, Seventh-day Adventists think they have inherited the mantle of remnant. Look what has happened so much in history with the remnant. Exiled on Patmos, wondering whether the remnant would ever arrive, Jesus reassures John that the entire history of good versus evil, the great controversy between Lucifer and Christ, that began in heaven before creation, has already been resolved. Heaven is rejoicing. A faithful remnant is found. They will survive. Global judgment will come. The remnant will survive the scrutiny of judgment and the wicked will be destroyed. He is sees that. God and the remnant, this faithful people that have been true to him, given unbelievable obstacles, they will have their dinner together in heaven. And the dragon was wroth with the woman, the church, and went to make war. Who's the dragon? Satan. Angry at the church. He went to make war with the what? That small little portion that is really true. That knows the Lord. That raises their children after them. That is godlike in the way they are. Those that keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus will be under the tremendous attack of Satan, but they will survive. Our SDAs, the remnant, as our early leaders believed, and as our doctrinal statement says, are we the remnant? What do you think? We appear at time, the book of Revelation, chapter 12, the timing is correct. We do keep the commandments, at least we profess to, right? And we do have the testimony of Jesus, which John himself was told, tells us, is the spirit of prophecy. We have that. Now, if you just look at those three things, there's hardly any other church that qualifies, right? So under the qualifying, yeah, we do fit the model. No, no one but Adventists meet these prerequisites. Is the Seventh-day Adventist church the remnant? Our SDAs, the remnant? Or does it possess simply the qualifications of the remnant? As we close, I want us to think about this. In God's view, never was the remnant to be the result of biology. The Jews thought since they got the genes, they get the status. Didn't work that way. 
all the way down through the Old Testament history. That's proven false, right? So you don't become remnant just simply because you got Abraham's genes. I'm not talking about Levi's. He did have a Levi, didn't he? Anyway, do you become remnant because you got the organization? Seventh-day Adventist church does have the organization. It comes at the right time. Are, are we like the Catholic church who believe that they are the remnant because of what Jesus said about Peter? They're wrong about that statement, but they believe that they are the remnant, the mother church, and everybody has to come back to the mother church. That's what they claim. Is that true? No. There is no merit in the SDA church. You can show your baptismal certificate to God and see if that's going to get you in heaven. Right? And so creedal statements. Do we have the right belief systems? Oftentimes, evangelists will use this to prove that we're the remnant. That we have the right belief systems or belief structures. And of course, the Jews in Jesus' day made a big point of claiming that they had the right belief structures. But who were they standing against? Jesus. The remnant have always been those who sincerely keep God's law. People who have walked with God, they have an experience with God. They know God, like Abraham did. They actually talk with God, and God talks with them. And they also obey God. A love relationship between God and mankind exists in the remnant. They love God, they love their fellow men. And whenever a remnant failed to live up to its calling, what happened? It was passed on to others. God always raised up a new remnant. In that day, the Lord will reach out his hand a second time, Isaiah says, to reclaim the remnant that is left of his people. And he would grab, grab them from Assyria, from Egypt, from Cush, from Elam, from Babylonia, from Hamath, in the islands of the sea. God will have a remnant. He will grab them from everywhere. I will bring them, he says, and they shall dwell in the midst of Jerusalem and they shall be my people and I will be their God in truth and in righteousness. His dream will come true with the remnant. I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all countries that I have driven them and will bring them back to their pasture where they will be fruitful and increase in number and I will place shepherds over them who will tend them and they will no longer be afraid or terrified nor will any be missing, declares the Lord. Is the Lord going to have his remnant? You better believe he's going to have it. God is faithful. He will keep his promise. He is patient with us. He is amazingly forgiving. Forgiving. He will succeed. The theme in Revelation is he's already got the victory. His promises will come true. The remnant isn't a closed group. It's open to anybody who are willing to accept the call, the intimacy, the oneness with God to be true to him. It's not something that we inherit. You know, I think we've got to be careful as Adventists. The good news is that God is going to have his remnant. And the bad news 
is there's going to be Adventists just like there were Jews, just like there were Protestants, who think they are remnant and are not. And they actually fight against God. And they have this kind of a pride that because we are of Abraham's seed or because we are among the true church, whatever, they, that they've got status. And we can't let that happen. Because whenever that did happen, they fell off of their perch, off of the remnant, fell astray. So we, I think the remnant are humble people. They're godly people. And I think that's the way the Seventh-day Adventist Church is being called. You know, I grew up in a church where my father was not a member until later in his life after he got into his 70s. He changed when he was baptized. Became a godly man. Wow. And I remember hearing over and over and over at evangelistic meetings, this point driven through so strongly. We are the church. When I realized that the reason my father wasn't a member was because his mother, who is an Adventist, drove him away from God, thinking she was so right. So there's a little bit of a message there for us, isn't it? My message today is reminding us how many and how frequently and all through history God has had to make adjustments and always create a new remnant, sometimes from very unlikely places. You read that first uh, part of Matthew and you see who the genealogy of Jesus is. Sometimes he reached into strange places. He found a remnant. He will succeed, maybe with our faithfulness and our love and our living relationship with Christ, we can have the opportunity. Wouldn't it be wonderful as a remnant, a little tiny piece, wouldn't it be wonderful that we can allow God to do something wonderful with our lives. And this remnant will make the glory of God visible to the entire world. And the Lord will come back. That's something to pray for. That's something to think about. So yes, um, we have been called. But let's not get arrogant about that. Let's be humble about that. Let's don't go telling people that we are the remnant. Yeah, it kind of sets them on edge. <laughs> Might even set you on edge. And let's be humble. Let's be teachable. Let's be holy. Let's teach our children all these things that we have read about today. Lord, there are some here in our sanctuary today that would like very much to be a humble servant of yours, be a part of that broader community that you look at as though they're the remnant. People who maintain a close abiding trust with you. People who are into your word and people who are into prayer. And people whose hearts are being transformed because they want their hearts to be changed by the Holy Spirit that you send into their lives. And if they are even small in number, what wonderful things you have proven you could do through them. Change the world around us and hasten the coming of our Lord. It is getting to be very difficult surviving on this earth. Only for your grace are we able to do it. 
The fun is disappearing. There is so much difficulty everywhere. And we are in anguish looking for your return. Help us to be true. Help us to be humble. Not to be proud. Not to be arrogant. At the wonderful privilege that you offer to us to obey, to live for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.